Hello, and welcome to a podcast we've entitled Resources for Dismantling Racism, the Gospel of Mark. My name is Joshua Daniel, and I'm an Episcopal priest at St. Columbus Church in Washington, D.C. This is an eight-week course. Um, The material of the course is a conversation and a lecture that I've had with people in a hybrid setting, both in person at St. Columbus and also on Zoom simultaneously. We're taking that and breaking it into two separate bits um, of the lecture portion and the question and answer portion, which will be released each week. Um, Each week we will look at a different chapter and kind of go verse by verse, but also look at the general themes and um, purposes that are happening in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We hope for a lively discussion. Would love to hear from you in email form, or if you can show up sometimes to the live discussion, um, that would be wonderful. So glad that you found us, and please enjoy. So I was in a Bible study that um, uh, uh, when I started here last March of 2020, and uh, we met, it was mostly Gospel of Mark. And um, Cindy Anderson, this wonderful person here to my left, um, I remember like one of these Sundays said, um, uh, we were reading one of the uh, feeding stories. And um, Cindy was like, now aren't there two feeding stories in the Gospel of Mark? And it was like one of those moments where it's like, that sounds like a pretty elementary question I should be able to answer. But I couldn't, (laughs) because uh, I'm a good Episcopalian, and I know Mark best through the lectionary. Uh, The lectionary, uh, for all of you um, who may or may not know it, is what we read on Sundays. And every year we pick a gospel. Um, uh, Year A is Matthew, year B is uh, Luke, year C is Mark. And we read a selection of those stories, quite a few of them, but not all of them. And so one thing that the lectionary wouldn't do is read both feeding stories, both uh, the feeding of the thousands, right? Um, so it was that moment, Cindy, believe it or not, that got me, got the ball rolling on, um, I wanted a more comprehensive understanding of the Gospel of Mark. Um, I felt like I knew really well, kind of like what Jesus is up to in general, <laughs> but not in particular. And um, in my mind, one of the ways to fix that uh, was to do a deep dive on Mark. That started in December of 2020. And um, I went through a series of texts, a series of, um, of, of, of um, study strategies. I used a, a, a lot of the stuff that I had been working on as a graduate student um, to like um, aggressively go after Mark. This class is the the the, um, the prayer book calls it the the outward physical sign of an inward spiritual grace. <laughs> I, I'm trying to make manifest in a way um, some of the stuff that I've learned and, and also connect it to some of the broader issues that we are going through in the church, specifically with dismantling racism. And some uh, already we've had a conversation. Where is race <laughs> in the Gospel of Mark? Um, and that's, that is a, is a great question and it's a tricky question and one that I think I've got hopefully an interesting answer to. Okay. So here's where we're going to start or we're, 
the question, the question that I hope um, all of you there on Zoom, everyone here in the room, as we go through this class together, is for each of you. Is for each of you to be able to answer these two questions, or this single question. What is Jesus' message? I've been in school enough to know that there is like, okay, here's a really quick, I've got to be careful because we do not have time for me to go like go, go down rabbit holes. In Virginia Theological Seminary, they went from having a one full year of New Testament to three quarters. They broke it up from two semesters, a year of two semesters to four quarters, and then they took New Testament out of the fourth quarter. So the New Testament professor, instead of having a full year, had three quarters to do. Do you think they cut any material? I mean, if you're a New Testament professor, do you say, forget the book of Corinthians? <laughs> no. So they didn't cut any material. They spoke faster. <laughs> that was like the worst pedagogical mistake to make. Speaking faster does not communicate more knowledge to people. So um, I, the one way to go about this uh, course is for me to like rapid fire information at you. Um, uh, I might feel better like as a student of Mark thinking, oh, I got more out. But that's not the, that is not the goal of what we're doing here. The goal is for each person here, um, uh, each person on Zoom and uh, the people listening to the podcast later, to feel as though you can answer this question. What is the message of Jesus? Doesn't mean you agree with it. Um, doesn't mean, I don't know, any other number of things. But the aim of this course is to actually feel confident in what is going on in the Gospel of Mark. And what is going on in the Gospel of Mark is this message that Jesus is proclaiming. Difficulty number one. Okay, I was thinking about um, how to explain the difficulty of uh, biblical exegesis. And here's what I came up with. Okay, so what we're, what we're going for is not the ability for like mere resuscitation of facts, but for understanding or like wisdom, okay? I should have gone to that story. Um, okay, so here, here's what I immediately thought of. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24, um, potentially a horrific verse. Um, Those who spare the rod hate their children, but love those who love them or are, um, are diligent. Okay, I'm not going to read from up there. I'm going to read from my which I can actually see. Um, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. Can someone summarize, just give me like, what do you, uh, interpret this, this verse? Um, unmute on, on Zoom or, or someone in the class. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Yes. I looked this up, okay. That is, um, uh, I think, a 19th century Anglican priest, poet, named um, if you ever, it doesn't matter but yes that's where that phrase comes from what does it mean spare the rod spoil the child okay we're getting yeah what does that mean yes thank you 
<laughs> yes. Feel free to hit your children. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, but let's uh, look at. Okay. Uh, those who spare the rod hate their children. Um, rod, uh, the Hebrew rod, uh, Hebrew word for rod is beto. Um, it's a masculine form, so like is rod. And that, that translates rod, either like straight into rod or staff, club. Okay, so a shepherd's staff has two parts to it. Everybody, like uh, you good Episcopalians, have seen the bishop walk in. Um, I haven't seen this in a while because <laughs> nobody has. Um, oh, bishop walks in with a staff. There's two parts to the staff. The, the top part is the crook. The longer part is the, like, staff, right? Okay. Um, uh, ancient Palestine, we didn't call it a crook till much later. That's a modern rendering. The top part is actually called the rod. The long part is called the staff. Now think about this. Um, shepherds, uh, it, 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 they both play very important roles. Shepherds both are guiding sheep, very dumb animals. The best image most biblical writers could have for <laughs> the people following God, sheep, okay? There's a, like a loving term and there's like very interesting like sociocultural stuff going on there. Um, but the shepherd guides with the hook, right? Um, the shepherd uses the staff on the bears and the wolves, okay? The shepherd's also defending the sheep from wild animals. It makes no sense to hit sheep. That, <laughs> nobody does that, okay? So, go back to this verse. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline. Oftentimes we have a negative connotation with that, but all that an ancient Palestinian would hear in the word discipline is provide boundaries. Um, uh, I, I do not encourage my son to do things that I think will be bad for him. And uh, when he goes out astray, I, I try to rein him back in. Not with the staff, not with a club, but with the hook. Um, so what I love about this, what I love about this is it is, one, um, we stand at a distance to the Bible, okay? That's like fact number one. It is not something that um, uh, uh, suffers fools. It, you, you, you've got to think about, uh, you've got to approach it from, um, there, there's going to be things that are not easily translatable, okay? Um, but it is understandable. A, a little bit of digging, this is a lot like poetry, a little bit of digging can re, um, uh, have uh, uh, great rewards. The other thing is, is that the, the 21st century American context for understanding the Bible is oftentimes literally upside down is literally the absolute reverse of what the author intended. That happens all the time. And not because we're dumb, ignorant Americans. Oftentimes, the, what people heard Jesus say, they also took the, the 
opposite, complete, reverse understanding, e.g. the disciples, whom Jesus describes all the time as being like ignorant roughnecks. I mean, it was the disciples who most, who most critically failed Jesus in big ways and small. Let me just pause right there. <laughs> like, I'm getting ramped up. This, what's so great about this is like a sermon in the Episcopal uh, context, for those of you joining us not in the Episcopal context, is like 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, I feel like uh, 10 minutes is like when we're getting uh, ramped up. Uh, people online, could you like, uh, or, or in class, check in? How how how, how are we feeling? Is this landing? Um, any thoughts about the, the crook and the staff? I love that because there's so much of the Bible that um, my evangelical family wants to just think is how they interpret it in, you know, 2021 America. And uh, I've had such a hard time with that my whole life. And I love to hear you say that. I mean, I believe it to be true, but I love to hear you say that it happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That makes yeah. me feel more secure. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you for breaking the, the code of silence of Zoom. Um, it, it, it's the, you're the first brave soldier. I like how I introduced the notion. So instead of spare the rod, the, you know, don't be afraid to punish or hurt your children, instead it's saying, you know, don't neglect your responsibilities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse is a good friend of mine from Arkansas, um, doing a PhD in English um, literature. For those of you who don't know him, um, and, and what I like about that Jesse too is the implication that um, that part of parenting is actually hard, and you need to remind people that it's important. <laughs> And listen, like, I'm chief among sinners. At 9 o'clock, like, the kids are on their own. <laughs> you know, like, I've done my best. You know, anyway, we all break at some point. Um, you uh, parents out there, I hope, um, understand. Uh, sometimes it's just like, they're, I hope they find their way to bed uh, tonight. Okay, good. Let's, uh, let's continue on. Um, that means I need to share my screen. Okay. I want to argue um, or suggest, and we'll spend the next eight weeks um, approaching this from a lot of different angles um, throughout the first half of Mark, is that Mark wants to take um, um, a whole bunch of the furniture of our concepts of faith, um, words like Messiah and sin, um, unclean spirit or demon, Faith is actually not a word that, that Mark uses, but, um, but what we call faith. And do what I just did with the staff, and that is invert it. Um, everything that the ancient Palestinians, um, who I'll just call it like Judeans, uh, would have heard Jesus say about the Messiah, they would have assumed the exact opposite, um, would have the exact opposite understanding. Um, and... Uh, Definitely with sin. Okay, there's, and we'll get to this. There's a really interesting, who is Mark 2? Um, Mark is for 
Um, one, the disciples. Um, two, the community that Mark was writing to, which is probably um, a Palestinian. Uh, I saw a commentary on Mark. This is hotly debated. I'm going to, for the purposes of, of um, uh, this class, is going to assume that it, uh, it was in between um, some of the early rebellions by the Palestinians against the Romans, but before the, ten if nothing, if this is like, what are you talking about? Don't worry. But before the destruction of the temple. Um, so Mark was writing to this Judean um, uh, group of people, mostly uh, Jews um, or Judeans. And uh, so uh, Mark is for the disciples. Mark is for that early first century community. And Mark is also for any, any future disciple of Jesus. So who misunderstands sin? All three groups. Both the people who are in the story, both who Mark meant to write it to, and us. We all three have different senses of sin. Maybe the first two groups have a similar one. Um, but would someone summarize what sin is? Uh, like, the, oh, how about what your friend believes sin is? <laughs> uh, the kind of uh, uh, American, um, what's on like uh, Twitter, Wikipedia. Yes. Yeah, okay, something that sends you to hell. Good. Yes, so, yeah, um, I think of sin as like, the oh, growing up, for instance, um, I, I, I was blessed to have a wonderful religious community growing up um, that I'm in some ways very critical of and in other ways deeply appreciative of. But as a teenager, um, so this is not, that's to separate what they taught me from what I thought as a teenager. But as a teenager, um, the biggest sin was like um, uh, 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 sex stuff <laughs> and drinking. Um, I wasn't near bold enough for drugs. Um, but that, that, I mean, that we talked about that all the time as being... The thing that separates us from God. Okay. Um, yes, Cindy. The thing that separates us from God is sin. Yes, and how we understood that was through um, this very, like, Midwestern, uh, you know, and uh, this is not to be too pejorative of this, but, like, um, we were really worried about, like, um, how far was too far. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Um, yes, yes, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, but yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think um, breaking God's commandments or what separates us from God are like perfectly great places to start. Um, in a way, but in another way, um, Jesus, um, in the first half of Mark, identifies himself with sinners, as in league with sinners. Um, and so there's, a, there's a, a, a real fundamental tension in the way that Mark uses sin to describe groups of people, e.g. sinners, and that Jesus identifies with them. Mm -hmm. And not, okay, and so just like um, big picture, 
let's see here. I think this might be next. Yes. Okay. So like uh, the 30,000 feet of um, uh, first half of Mark, um, the kind mm -hmm. of old story that I grew up with or, or that's like on Wikipedia about what Christianity is. And that is like shaming people who do wrong or don't believe in God, people who are not in the right tribe. Like there's probably not one Christian out there who believes exactly that. But, you know, that's like the gloss. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So, but here's what I want to suggest. Again, following the hook and the crook um, is that 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 um, uh, basic concept is totally flipped. Rather, Jesus aligns himself with sinners, and there I'm kind of cheating and suggesting to you that what sinner actually means in the Gospel of Mark is the poor. Um, and, and look, uh, we've got, I've got eight weeks to, uh, to sell you on this. Okay. So like, um, there, there's no easy, like knockdown thing here, but, um, I do point to some verses on the right hand side. Um, and, uh, Jesus, you know, one of the kind of, um, famous sayings is I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Um, if you think about that, that's a crazy thing to say. If we define sin in the way that we just were, namely what separates you from God, why would Jesus want to align himself with people who have not aligned themselves with God? That makes no sense. Um, and, and so uh, the righteous and sinners are classes of people in the Gospel of Mark, not religious observance. Of course, a certain class of people, namely the aristocratic uh, think of themselves as being very observant, but, oh, well, that's, that's point number two. Um, Jesus, okay, so Jesus aligns himself with the poor on the one hand, and who does Jesus condemn? So what I'm suggesting is that as you read Mark, as you read Mark, just like make these notes. Who is Jesus out to get? Where are the fights? Where are the tensions? Where is the solidarity? And, so, and here's kind of my gloss. Um, my gloss is that uh, the solidarity is with the with sinners or the poor, the crowd, and the condemnation, where Jesus attacks, where he gets um, uh, off the rails is with uh, the religious and political establishment. Um, there, this, this is throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, but we see it, I mean, it begins right there in chapter 2. It's implicit in chapter 1, which we'll do the second half of chapter 1, which we'll do next week. Um, but what I have in mind chiefly is... Um, it says that Jesus is angered and grieved by their hardness of heart. That's the Pharisees or the scribes. I think it might be the scribes or the Pharisees, but we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Where do the tax collectors fit in this? Great. Yes. Um, Carrie, thank you for that. Uh, so a uh, tax collector is uh, Levi, son of Alphaeus. Um, uh, as Jesus passed along the sea, we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, as Jesus passed along the sea, he saw Levi, uh, uh, Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and Jesus said, um, follow me, and he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner at Levi's house um, with many tax collectors and sinners, um, with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many that followed Jesus, he reclined with them. Um uh, Carrie, so that's what we'll get to that next week in chapter two, but um, that's 
very, that's exactly where we're headed. That's exactly where we're headed. Um, Jesus reclining with, one, they lump tax collectors with sinners. He reclines with them, okay? So if sinners are like people who are misaligned with God, why would he recline with them? Again, I, it's, not, it's not behavior, it's class, in my opinion. Um, oh, perfect. Okay, so look, look at this. I'm going to... Um, is the very last slide. Uh, so next week, I'm going to talk more generally about the socioeconomic context of ancient Palestine, specifically with um, regard to the purity and debt culture. Um, the purity and debt culture is what's going to make sense of sin and sacrifice and, and what Jesus is attacking. Um, and then chapter three, the following week, I'm going to more thoroughly explain or look at um, uh, the, the rival religious traditions that Jesus is in the mix of, um, namely uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Uh, so that is a great question, um, but uh, a pretty significant one also. Thank you so much for just like interrupting um, it, seriously with, with questions that will, will really help um, hone the clarity. The last thing I want to say about this is in gloss is that Jesus is willing, Jesus willfully breaks the law. Um, uh, chapter two, uh, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he redefines the community of God, not along tribal lines or class lines, but how we talked about it, um, and that is um, alignment with God. He says, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. And hopefully, as we talk more about the, um, the context of ancient Palestine, the radicalness of that claim will become uh, more apparent. How are we doing? Okay. Awesome. Okay. So um, in the advertisements, I spent a lot of time um, talking about um, kind of big themes in the gospel, the first half of the gospel of Mark as being economic inequality religious nationalism, and ethnic racial prejudice. And there I, I did cheat a little bit um, because what we call racism is obviously, not obviously, what I think about racism as, and I'm going to talk about this hopefully at the end of class, is the, um, um, the history of uh, 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 Europe and slavery um, there and also Africa and America. And, for 600, 800 years of uh, systemic oppression. That is what racism is to us. It would be an anachronism in a way. But um, Jesus in chapters, uh, I want to say three, five, six, and seven, so that, that first half, um, ethnic prejudice is something that comes up all the time. Um, the greatest example is the Seraphonician woman. Um, uh, uh, Seraphonician woman, her daughter is sick. She goes to Jesus uh, to heal her daughter. Jesus says, I've come to for the Judeans, the house of Israel. Um, I wouldn't give my food to the dogs. And mm -hmm. she says, sir, um, even dogs on the table eat the crumbs. 
and you see Jesus do a reversal. And I, I preached on this a few weeks ago, but there I think Jesus is doing something that happens all throughout the Gospel of Mark, which is Jesus gives a tangible example of a principle. We're going to get to what we're going to get to one of those um, in the first twenty verses of of chapter one in just a minute, um, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about not so much economic equality today, but a lot about religious nationalism, how that features into uh, the Gospel of Mark. In I mean, I don't want to say like eerily or shocking. I mean, I do want to say those things and they get overused, but like um, the ways in which it aligns with our own form of religious nationalism. In, um, in current uh, American society, I think, are, are striking. Um, okay, great. So that's, so there's some like general uh, themes for the first half of Mark that we are going to it, hopefully just systematically ex explore each week and, and tie them to these to these three things. Stepping back just a little bit further, I thought I'd just kind of note, as you read the text, I just want to emphasize again and again, this is my great hope. Um, and it is, is to kind of pierce through uh, a, a passing familiarity and to feel like I kind of get the sense of what's going on, Mark. And part of that is just read, you, you got, you got to, look at it. And I think some of the things like this really help, which is like schematically, if you can kind of break it down into smaller pieces, it, it, it's, help, it's helpful. I think of it a lot like poker. In poker, they ask you, they tell you to always have in your mind what you think the other player's cards are. And like in the beginning, it's a wild guess. But like the more you do it, the better you get. Anyway, so like it's okay to make wild guesses. But as you like do more schematic things, hopefully it becomes a little bit more clear. So here's the broad suggestion is that you have Jesus doing four basic movements. A call to discipleship, a dismantling of systems of oppression, a pause to teach. Um, and both those teaching cycles are apocalyptic in nature. Um, that's We'll spend another whole week talking about apocalyptic literature in general and how that features into the Gospel of Mark. And then in the end, it's a construction of a new kingdom. You know, great question, Patty. Um, that this, uh, I think there are, these are good broad general themes, but each, and this is like Mark, in one way I think Mark is a very poorly written text stylistically it's in passive voice i it's just a mess it's a mess the closer you read it the more you're just like i feel infected by bad writing <laughs> you know um uh, on the one hand on the other hand mark is a master of uh, uh symbolism and and weaving in kind of historical events to to broader symbolic acts so each of these cycles, calling of, calling of disciples, dismantling of oppression, teaching, and the construction of a new kingdom, you see parts, in each one you see parts of all. Um, uh, and I think it's a great exercise. Again, I just mean this to be like a heuristic, at like a helpful device as you go through 
to think like, is this a, what's going on here? Okay, great. Well, after like 40 minutes of throat clearing, let's turn to the text. Would someone read um, uh, the first uh, few verses? It's on the screen. Can I read? Please, yes. Okay. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Awesome. Thank you, Patty. That's all there is on this slide. Yep, that's it. That's it. Good. I'm pausing for effect, Patty. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you know, I've done. I, I I feel like I've got a lot to learn in how to teach this material. And um, one way I did bef did it before briefly was to just ask people what they think about the text. And I found that, in a way, good and helpful, but also um, uh, it's a lot like the, the, the shepherd's staff. Um, uh, so I'm just going to suggest a little bit of context, and then we'll, we'll pull back and talk. Okay, so let's start with the beginning. Um, here, the Greek word is um, uh, a not a, a synonym, but very closely related uh, to the Hebrew word that we find in the very first verse of the Bible, um, and in the beginning, God created. Uh, Mark, in literally the first Greek word, is signaling this is epic stuff. And I don't mean what they talk about on Twitter. I mean like apoc, the epics. The, um, uh, it, so uh, apocalyptic literature is um, often a characteristic characteristic of apocalyptic literature is that it's a new heaven and a new earth. Think about Revelations, uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, here we have a similar theme. Um, with the introduction of Jesus, the whole creation is being remade. This is not a um, one more um, uh, one more damn thing, right? Uh, the rock is not just rolling around the hill. The whole landscape is getting recreated. Um, uh, yes, so not just in, in what what's getting recreated, it's not just physical stuff or like chronological time of history. It's the regeneration of sal the salvation story. Um, uh, how how God is entering uh, into creation again and starting something new. Good news. Um, good news is uh, uh, an, another more literal translation is uh, the gospel. Um, the gospel is, when we use the word gospel, what we're talking about is the good news. Um, Mark uses this term uh, uh, from the Romans, from uh, the kind of colonial Roman um, empire. It's uh, a technical term that Romans would use in the messages to the Roman kingdom to declare victory when victory had been, been uh, the good news goes forth. Um, 
uh, so especially in kind of military language. Um, also, it was the good news is reported at the birth of the emperor, um, and that message is proclaimed. Um, another one of Mark's favorite uses for what it is to live out the gospel. And there I put um, in, uh, from an ancient manuscript um, at the birth, I can't remember what emperor it is, but the inscription was, the birthday of the God was for the world the beginning of the joyful message which has uh, gone forth because of him. We're going to return to this a lot, and that is Mark uses very um, language that is traditionally used as a form of domination. So this message that goes out for the emperor, um, I like, when I read that, I wrote like, disgusting next to it, you know? I mean, think about getting that message in your inbox. Um, uh, the election of a new president or um, uh, uh, military ruler declares himself emperor and God, and you read, um, uh, the, God, the birthday of the God was um, for the world the beginning of joy. I mean, that is like Goebbels-esque propaganda. Um, it is not, there's nothing joyful about it. It is the expression of um, a man's ability to dominate and our participation in that domination. That's the language Mark uses. And the question, again, is what is power for Jesus? I'm going to say that Jesus... It, fundamentally inverts these concepts and these images and then what so that is not what you that is not the type of power that Jesus is aspiring to um, but but then what is it okay the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ um, uh, Christ is a title that's not Jesus's last name um, uh, the title also can be rendered as um, the Messiah and this continues the imperial theme um, many Judeans believe that the Messiah was promised to restore the power of Jerusalem slash the temple, mostly the temple, which had to be in Jerusalem. Um, this is part, I think I write, uh, mentioned later on, part of the Davidic covenant, which we'll spend a lot of time talking to, something that Jesus again and again tries to undermine. Even though Mark uses this, and I preached about this last Sunday, Last Sunday. Last Sunday, yeah. <laughs> like time is moving weird. Last Sunday is um, the Messiah is not a term that Jesus ever. It, Jesus does not accept that term until we are at the point of crucifixion. And um, is it Pilate, or is it the uh, the uh, temple? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, uh, it says, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am. And that is the first time. Um, yes. <laughs> and, well, okay, we're going to get, uh, I'm not going to steal the thunder, but um, instead, Jesus prefers the Son of Man. Um, the Son of Man is also in a apocalyptic image that comes from the book of Daniel. We'll talk about that later, um, but uh, is significantly different than, Okay. 
I feel like I'm getting into just throwing facts at you. Uh, so I'm, I'll come back to this at some point. Um, but let me get to, uh, uh, larger themes. Okay. Uh, would someone uh, read uh, this passage? This is right after Jesus is um, baptized. Uh, so literally, um, the Spirit descends on Jesus. The next sentence is, and the Spirit immediately drove him. Thank you. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the sea of Galilee. Awesome. Okay, so um, here we come to uh, the uh, uh, Jewish nationalism or... Uh, um, religious nationalism in its greatest form. Um, the Messiah, so in the beginning, as it was written in the prophet Isaiah, um, the expectation was for the Messiah to come back and to kick out whoever the colonizers were. And, and Israel and um, uh, the uh, Judean uh, people had experienced any number of conquerors. Um, uh, Assyria, Babylon, really the Old Testament is just a history of like um, um, the Jews being conquered in and shipped off as slaves. The expectation was that the Messiah would come in and reverse that. Where? In Jerusalem, in the temple. We get out the, the worshiping of the false idols and get back to worshiping Yahweh. So the big subversion here in the first 20 verses of the first chapter of Mark is that Jesus comes from the wilderness. Mark places him far, far, far away from centers of power. There's no genealogy. Um, as there is in other Gospels, um, Jesus is not visited by visiting kings. He's not chased by Herod. He doesn't claim to be the son of David. In fact, when we get to chapter 12, Jesus specifically rejects that. I have nothing to do with their view of David. I want nothing to, I want nothing to do with. Um, uh, so we uh, uh, read, I mean, if you're like me, you've read the first chapter of Mark I mean, even in our own calendar, in year C, we read it like three times. <laughs> Do you remember that? Like, oh, here we go. Uh, we're talking about uh, the uh, first chapter of Mark again. Um, it's, it's hard to, I mean, looking at this with fresh eyes. One, um, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Or even, um, we hear the voice from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased. And what is the next act? The first next act is him to go to the wilderness. Like, what? <laughs> I thought, like, God had, like, come. And why are you going out to the wilderness? So it's a total subversion of normal expectations about what it means to attain power. Um, Jesus uh, walks away from traditional understandings of power, which means basically military domination or religious domination. And by domination, I mean, you know, like, being able to force people to do uh, certain things. And then again, when Jesus goes to Galilee, it's like, what, what are you doing in Galilee? One. And two, he says, the time is fulfilled. 
Oh, okay, so he says the time is fulfilled, and we're going to go to the next slide. <laughs> so this is the very next sentence after Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, repent and believe in the good news of God, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. It's like, come on, dude, like, where are the fireworks? Um, and so uh, Jesus says this, like, very common act of, like, calling the disciples. So what I want to draw your attention to, and I'm going to pause here for, like, questions and pull back and uh, kind of just, I would love to hear how, where people are and what you're thinking about Mark and where some of the like, questions are and the confusions and frustrations or what you love about it. Um, but I just want to pull two big themes out here. One is that Mark, um, uh, Mark does this thing where he, there's uh, both um, plotted time and like story time. And the story time is the kind of um, how the events chronologically would have happened. And then the plotted time, this is like um, Inception. You know, these movies that in intentionally, they think you, you think you're watching the beginning, but actually you're watching the end. I mean, um, Mark does this all the time. So, for instance, look at this verse where it says, now after John was arrested. John being arrested would have been a profound, devastating loss to the um, to the movement that Jesus both is a part of, inherits, and continues. It would have been just as profound as Jesus' own arrest. But all we hear is at, when John was arrested, on to the next thing. Um, so Mark both means to draw our attention to the political ramifications of what we are up to here. Who is John arrested by? Herod Antipas. Herod. And he, he is arrested by the Roman state. Okay? Just as Jesus will be arrested by the Roman state. Um, there, the political dimension... Ha so, Mark wants his cake and... He wants to have his cake and eat it too. He both does very short work of something that would have been a huge marker and also means to draw our attention to um, uh, both the political nature of the gospel, but also this real-time thing that happened, even though he's not playing by very good real-time rules. Also, I just want to draw your attention to, so like, it, it, to me, this, this story about calling of the disciples is a perfect representation of what's happening in Mark again and again and again, one, he's playing loose with concepts like the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea, okay? Like, you can't throw a rock across it, but you definitely can see across it. It is not a big body of water, okay? But Mark loves the idea of having um, the Jesus' image to be something similar to Moses. That happens a lot. Moses crosses the Red Sea. Jesus will cross the Sea of Galilee. It sounds way better than the Lake of Galilee that Jesus crossed. And this is like a time-honored biblical tradition. It's the River Jordan. If you've ever seen the Jordan River, it is not a river, folks. I mean, this thing, if it doesn't rain for a couple weeks, it totally changes course because it is like a stream. Like Rock Creek Park. Rock Creek puts it to shame. Big time. Okay, so on the one hand... You have Mark engaged in highly symbolic acts all throughout the gospel. On the other hand, we get weird, nitty-gritty details. Like, look at this. Um, 
the calling the disciples, they are with James. Um, uh, 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 James and John are with their father. Okay, um, uh, professionalism is a family business. So, on the right hand side, you see um, Jesus again and again. When I said that Jesus will give a flesh and blood example of a principle, the principle is whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, and mother, not who you are born to. And here Jesus gives the flesh and blood example. The flesh and blood example is he's calling James and John and um, Simon and Andrew to follow him and they leave their family. They do what Jesus will call them to do later in explicit terms. Okay, so one, it's a family business. Two, they are artisans. They are not day laborers. They hire day laborers. Look at that at the very end. And they left their father with the hired men, the day laborers. So um, Mark is actually giving us quite a, I mean, I don't say quite a bit because like anyone who knows a lot about antique literature knows that some of this literature actually does give quite a bit of the kind of socio sociopolitical socioeconomic background, and, and Mark just doesn't, but in here there's a lot crammed in, namely that the disciples are an artisan class just like Jesus, who is a carpenter. Um, and those were all family businesses. So in this like one example, we have both Mark doing high kind of symbolism, um, uh, placing his characters into an elevated symbolic thing that, that serves a larger narrative purpose, but also giving you like a sense of what it's like to live in, in, Pal in, in Galilee, in Palestine. That concludes the lecture portion of today's podcast. If you'd like to hear some of the discussion between me and the class, please stay tuned for the second part of this week's podcast in the separate Q&A file. So thrilled that you've made it to the end. And I truly hope and pray that this series deepens and challenges your sense of who Jesus is and what Jesus is calling us to do. Peace.